Okay, we're in Colossians chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there, and if you have uh, a house Bible, shout me out a page number so we can get uh, the rest of the room there. Who's got it? What page is that on? 817. And we've been talking about uh, how Paul was sharing with these folks in Colossae that he was suffering on their behalf. And the reason that he was sharing that with them is because he wanted them to be encouraged. He wanted them to be united in love and he wanted them to be united in their understanding. That he wanted them to lock arms together and stand strong because there were those in the community that were trying to kidnap them away with teaching that was contrary to the gospel. And so, what was it that Paul wanted them to understand? And we came across our other big three in Colossians chapter 2. Dave, uh, a few weeks back, taught us about the fullness that, are, that is ours in Jesus Christ. And then, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about circumcision and how Christ has circumcised our hearts and has brought us to new life. And then today, we're going to be talking about uh, the law. So... Um, let me do something. Y'all got, got all this down? All right. Okay. Because we're going to use the board for something else today. So uh, turn to Colossians chapter 2. And uh, let's see. I think we're going to start in verse 13. And uh, is there anybody in this room that feels like you could read that loud enough for everybody else to hear? 2, 13 through 15. Who could do it? I got it. Yeah, bring it. There it is. Okay. I didn't mean to do that. All right. This is going to fall over. Don't worry. I got it under control. 817 in a house, Bible. Well, first introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Joseph Williams. <laughs> Joseph, so glad to have you here with us. All right. Colossians 2, 13 15. Correct. You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, striving over them by the cross. Excellent. Okay. I think my power just went out. Joseph, stand back up, man. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Go ahead. Okay, read the first part again, Joseph. When you were dead in your sins. Stop. Okay. We... No, okay, look. I'm... Here's a little man. All right. When... Dead. Okay. What happened? Keep going. Wow, that was... That's a big head dead. And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. Okay. God made you alive with Christ. Okay, stop right there. Thank you, Joseph. You can have a seat. He made us alive. All right. How's that? He's dancing. All right. <laughs> so... This passage is talking about that when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive. Joseph, read the next sentence, would you? Keep going, man. You're great. You forgave us all our sins. Stop right there. Thanks, man. So, 
the first passage that we're reading here is that he forgave us our sins, that we have been forgiven. And how many of our sins does the passage say that we've been forgiven? All our sins. I mean, this is huge, that we've been brought from death to life, forgave, maybe forgiven, all right? And made alive, and, and he's describing this journey to a live living as partly that we've been forgiven from all our sins. Now, I want us to understand and get our hands around something here, is that in everything that we've been talking about for the last month, the fullness of Christ, the circumcision that Christ has circumcised us, he's cut us away from the dead flesh, and he's brought us to a live living. And what we're going to be talking about today, all of this is the work of God. And this may be hard for you to understand, but this is not about you. I mean, grass, this is not about you. This is about him. And Paul is describing to you what God has done. It seems so simplistic, doesn't it? But I want you to grab it because we're going to remember that because we're going to come back to it. Because I want us to hear that this alive life is an alien to this dead life. As much as if a spaceship landed right here at our service today and little green creatures came out and we would say, that's alien. This life is alien to this life. And I can't use what I learned in this life. Can y'all see this over there? It's a dead guy, all right? That I can't learn what I've used over here to understand this. Have any of you seen the movie, the big, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Do you remember the scene, okay, the girl in the wedding, the, or the girl that's getting married, she, uh, I've only seen parts of it, so forgive me if I butcher it, but she's uh, a family girl, she works in the restaurant, she's not really experienced in romance, right? So this uh, hunk of hunk of burning love comes into her life and falls for her big time, right? And you remember the scene where she looks at him and she asks him this question, why do you love me? I mean, what she's saying is, in this world right here, I began to understand this myself as someone that is unlovable. Someone that will never experience the kind of romance that I'm experiencing now. My old life doesn't have categories to understand this new life. And so she's saying, in my old way of thinking, you don't make sense to me. In my old way of thinking, what's happening in my life right now doesn't have category. There's got to be, there's got to be something behind it. There's got to be a catch somewhere because this doesn't happen. And does anybody remember what he said there? Because I came alive when I met you. I came alive when I met you. And, you know, it's an emotional part because it's, it's saying goodbye to the old dead way of thinking. And it's saying hello to a new live way of thinking. And that's a dramatic illustration to show us that what Paul is trying to do to us in this passage is he's going to take us through an understanding of the law and saying this old thinking doesn't work anymore. Verse 14. Having wiped out the handwritten of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, 
And he has taken it away and having nailed it to the cross. That Paul is saying that the handwritten codes, the law, was nailed to the cross. The Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, the ceremonial law, the civil law, it was nailed to the cross. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say the rules have been nailed to the cross? Now, we know that when something gets nailed to a cross, it dies, right? So what is Paul saying here? Now, this is hard for me in my old dead man thinking because my dead man thinking grew up thinking that, that the rules is all the church is about. That when I come to church, I, I come to church to learn how to live a good life. I learn what is right. I learn what is wrong. I learn that Christianity really is all about me. What I'm doing, what I've done, what I plan on doing, what I plan on not doing. And when they talked about freedom, I kind of chuckled because I thought Christians were the least free people I knew. They were so bound up in their fears of what other people thought about them or what people might think about them going out to eat on Sundays or what people might think if they caught them smoking or walking into a bar. That the only free people I really knew were people that had shedded themselves of the skin of Christianity and were living life however they wanted to live it. That was the people that I thought were free. We talked about this in Gospel 101 a couple of weeks ago that I was always taught that life is like, um, like a railroad and that we're, we're the little engine, you know? And God's laws are the two tracks. And as long as we stay on the two tracks, that's pretty good, I could do that forever. That as long as I stay on God's, God's way is his highway, just made that up, and his rules, then man, I'm just gonna be able to move with all the power of my life. But as soon as I get off the tracks of God's laws, then what happens when a railroad gets off the railroad tracks? It crashes. And so I was taught that if you want to be successful if, as a Christian, and if you want to enjoy God's pleasure in your life, then you will run your life by the laws of God. Now, that may be too far from what you've learned. Why would Paul say that got nailed to the cross? See, the problem was when I was growing up, and even now, is, is I found it nearly impossible, if I was honest with myself, to completely stay on the railroad tracks of God's laws. That I was a lawbreaker. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago too, that if, if the speed limit is 50, then in my mind, I really believe that's 60. They just printed it wrong. <laughs> or if the speed limit, we did this in the class, let's do it here. If the speed limit is 70, how fast can you really go before you get a ticket? Five. 85. <laughs> uh, his dad's a trooper. Uh, 79. 79. What do you put speed control on? Yeah, see, y'all are lawbreakers too. Because at the heart, I want to push the limit. You know, we joked about this, that when I was in youth ministry, every year we would do a short series, or depending on the youth group, a long series on sexuality. And we would always have a Q&A time, and the question that we always knew was going to be asked is, how far can I go before it's sin? 
And what they're really asking is, I, I want to get not, how do I please the Lord in all my ways? It's how do I please myself and still don't get the backhand of God? How do I get the very edge? Because at the heart, there is a lawbreaker that's dwelling within me. See, it seemed to me that Christianity was constantly asking, was I good enough? Was I serious enough? Was I committed enough? I believe that the greater the sacrifice, the greater the Christian. And because of that, I often found myself living under constant guilt from shoulds, ought tos, and you betters. That my life as a Christian was constantly this guilt and this shame of I could be better, I could do more, I should, I ought to. Why not? But the problem was the closer I seemed to get to Christ, the worse I seemed to be. It seemed like the more I got to know Christ and the more I began to understand the brilliance, he looked at me and he says, you say that murder is wrong, but I say if you get angry and curse at somebody, you've already murdered them in your heart. Good Lord, how many people did I kill on the way here this morning? You know what I'm saying? It's the more I began to understand Christ, the more my own self began to get exposed. And not, I wasn't getting better at running on the tracks. I was getting worse at running on the tracks. And then I did this. I started to invent new laws. I started to go beyond what even Scripture said and begin to create new laws for myself. Like a real Christian journals. <laughs> Any of y'all do that? And a really serious Christian journals every day. Even if it's 2 in the morning and you're going to bed and you realize you haven't journaled yet, get out of bed and go do your journal because that's a serious Christian. Or, wow, start applying these new laws to prayer. You know? I remember when I was in college, my roommates and I, we decided that we were going to commit ourselves to have pure hearts. But there were so many beautiful girls on our college campus, we felt it was almost impossible to even make it to class with pure hearts. So we began to think that it was pious for us to walk to class while watching our shoes. The problem with doing that is when you watch your shoes, all you think about is everything else that you're missing out on. Paul says that in verse 23. Some regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. It sounds wise, doesn't it? Guard your eyes. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. Seems like a good idea. But the rules and then the new rules were hanging over my head like a club. And I began to believe that God really was a cop. And all he really wants from me is to stop sinning. That all God really is saying to me is, come on, get good, get better. Because God likes good, right? Right? God's good. He likes good. So why nail it to the cross? Okay, now hang with me because some of you are going to try to hear this with dead man ears. Okay? We're, we're in love now by the hunk of hunk of burning love. Alright? So now try to hear this in alive ears because this is powerful. Romans 5 verse 20. Alright? Romans 5.20 says, The law was added so that trespasses may increase. This was added 
so that trespasses, sins may increase. Are you kidding me? The law of God, which is good, was added so that sins are going to increase. New Year's, people. Romans 7, 5. It says, For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, when we were dead, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore the fruit of death. Did you hear what it just said? The, sin, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. The law came and sin increased. Not only did it increase, but now my sinful passions were aroused because the law was present. And it bore what? The fruit of what? Death. Romans 8.3 For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. And you can go on and read this later, but what I want you to hear that is the law was powerless to do something. And what was it powerless to do? It was powerless to move me from dead to alive. It did not have the power to do it. All it had the power to do was to point out and say this, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you're dead. We've used this illustration before, but if you had hiccups in here this morning, and you were constantly hiccuping, and I said, we're going to make a new rule in this, in this room right now. Here is the law. No hiccuping. That is against the law. Would that stop your hiccups? No? Do you think the law has the power to stop any of your law breaking? All the law has to do is, is all it can do is illustrate that hiccups is law breaking. And if you're hiccuping, you're a law breaker. But it doesn't have the power to stop the hiccups, right? <laughs> It didn't have the power to bring me alive. It only shows that I'm dead. I want you to imagine that, uh, that you're 18 and that you're uh, at your first prom date, okay? And uh, for women, just empathize with us. Let's imagine that you're the guy that's taking your dream girl out and you want to take her to the best restaurant in all of town, you know? Shea McDonald's or, you know, something to the La King or so, I don't know, you know. So you're going to a nice restaurant and uh, you've saved up and you've saved up, but you've never been to this restaurant before. So you have no, uh, no understanding of really what the cost of this restaurant is and there are no prices on the menu. And you think that's a good thing. That's dead living right there, right? <laughs> so you tell her, order whatever you want. So she does, and you do, and you feast, and you feast, and you feast, and then they bring the ticket, and you realize that not only do you not have enough to pay for what you've done, you don't even have enough money to pay the tip for what you've got to pay for what was done. What would that produce in you? Let's say that that moment happened to you, that you were caught completely off guard, and someone lays that you know, $400 tab on your table, and you got $32 in your pocket and you're 18, and you're with the person that you want to impress more than anybody else in life, and your reputation is on the line, you're trying to be cool, what would go on inside of you? That. <laughs> yes. Shout it out. What? 
What did I hear? Run. Run. All right. No, flee. Yes. Self-protection. Okay. What else? Daddy. What? Daddy. You will get to that in just a minute, all right? Fear. Fear. Embarrassment. Shame. Guilt. How could I have not known? See, the ticket only reveals that I am not efficient enough to cover the cost of this meal. That what I desire, I cannot acquire. Unless my daddy is sitting at the table next to us. And he keeps nudging me on and he keeps going, no, 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 no. Order the filet. That's much better. But dad, no, really. No, no, no. This is the dessert that you need to order for. And order it now, early, so they can have time to prepare it. Okay, okay. So when the check comes and the dad's just going, no, 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 slide that over here to me. What does the check do? It doesn't produce fear anymore. It doesn't produce the, the, the life of self-protection. It doesn't produce the life of self-glorification. It doesn't produce the life of just me, me, me. It produces something much more beautiful. The ticket now is the very doorway for me to see the brilliance of my father. His glory, his wealth, his greatness. Now when he says alive, if you go back to the passage, there's something that we have to understand. He doesn't just say that we're alive. He says that we are alive with Christ. Before we come to the table, we need to understand what that means. Because Paul's not talking about that we are to do the law. Paul is talking about the fulfillment of the law. And what he's illustrating here is that Christ was the fulfillment of the law. In every way, Christ kept the law. In every way, he was perfect. And when he went to the cross and he paid for our sins in breaking the law, he allowed his fulfillment of the law to be placed on our account. So we are alive, but not alive alone. We are alive with Christ in his fulfillment of the law. Listen to what Douglas Moo said about this. Fulfilling the law denotes the complete satisfaction of the law's demands that comes only through Christians' identification with Christ and their submission to that commandment that Christ put at the heart of his new covenant teaching, which is love. It is the love of others first made possible by Christ that completely satisfies the demands of the law. See, it'd be easy for us to leave here and say, well, okay, the law now got nailed to the cross. All my law breaking, all my sin, all the passions that got aroused by the law and my dead man got nailed to the cross. So now we don't have any obligation whatsoever to any law. We're free people. We can go live however we want, right? Let's go. Where was that dating seminar? How close to the edge? Well, I want to suggest you can. You can. You can go and live however you want. If we're alive in Christ, we've got to ask ourselves, what do we want now? What do we want? 
Because Christ puts the law in a whole new light because he says, I give you a new commandment. That commandment is what? Love one another. In Romans 13.10, it says, the whole law is summed up in love. The fulfillment of the law is love. See, listen to this, folks. I'm not trying to get God's love anymore. I'm not trying to get God unpissed off. I'm not trying to convince him to bless me by the rules. I'm not trying to fulfill some law so that I am loved. I am loved. When Paul says that he nailed the law to the cross, he's saying that every requirement that was ever needed for me to be in perfect relationship with the Father has already been met. The ticket at the table has been paid. We can celebrate because there is no more debt. The waiter's not coming to me to demand anything from me anymore. He's coming over to celebrate that we dined in his restaurant. We are free people, and what we've been freed to is love. We've been freed to love him, to be loved by him, and to love each other. And what does love demand? Oh, this is where it gets beautiful. Because if you think law messed up your life, that ain't nothing compared to the nuclear bomb of love. Because when love, when you let love come into your life, and it becomes now being loved by Christ as the power in which you love other people becomes the compass for how you're going to live your life now, I promise you, it is going to wreck your world. Let me explain. It was during the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, he was the Lord Protector of England, he sentenced a soldier to be shot for his crimes. The execution was to take place at the ringing of the evening curfew bell. However, the bell did not sound. The soldier's fiance, she had climbed up into the belfry and she had clung on to the clapper of the bell so that when they pulled the rope on the bell, the clapper would never hit the sides of the bell. So when they investigated, they found this beat up, bruised, and unconscious woman up at the top of the belfry, and they drug her to Cromwell's feet. He asked her to give an account for her actions, and all she could do was say she loved him and showed her bruised and bloody body to Cromwell. And he said, your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. The curfew bell here will never sound again. That's what love does, doesn't it? I mean, there is no law that I know of that could drive someone with that kind of passion to go and hang on to the bell every time it's, the rope is pulled. But when love compels us, when we are set free from dead life to a live life because we are loved, then we can hear the words, when I met you, I came alive. And we hear it as love, not as a catch, not as we'll see, not as, well, my dead ears knows that that can't possibly be true. We hear it as love. Listen to Romans 4. Let's, 
write this down. This is an important one. Verses 14. Verse 14. For if those who live by the law are heirs, if those who keep the law well, if they're the ones that are sons and daughters of the King Most High, if they're the ones that are going to inherit the kingdom because they were good enough, faith has no value and the promise of God is worthless. What is Paul saying? In Colossians 2.6, at the beginning of this section, he says, In the same way you receive Christ, so now live. How did we receive Christ? In faith. And what is it that faith does? Faith gives me arms that stretch out to receive the gifts of love. And what is the gift of love? That I've been forever changed. I have been forgiven. And I've been made new because I have a father now who is pouring and lavishing his love down on me. That I can live as those that have the promise. I feast at the table because the debt has already been paid and I'm loved. And because I'm loved, I'm now compelled by love and it has become my new law. Now, if you want to know what to do with that law, is the Old Testament, is the, are the Ten Commandments bad? No. But in love, they become beautiful. In love, they take on a life that sings a new song for us. So we're about to come to the table. How do we come to this table? We do come to this table confessing. We come to this table repenting. Do we come confessing and repenting that we haven't, that we've done it wrong? Yes. But we need to go below the surface of that. It's more than we've done it wrong. I've done it wrong because I've forgotten how profoundly loved I am. How profoundly good our Father is. And I've not yielded myself to that love. So as we come to this table, we come to a relationship. We come to a place where the Lord says, come and remember how good I am. Come and remember how much love I have for you. Come and remember what I've done. So that when we get up from this table, we go as those that proclaim the truth of this table. And we proclaim it until he returns. Let's pray and then we'll begin this time together. Lord, how can it be, Father? How can it be that, that the truth of this gospel is that this isn't about us. This is about you and what you're doing. All of this, that you gave us fullness, that you have circumcised our hearts, and that, Lord, you have set us free. You have set us free now to no longer to be under the curse and supervision of the law, but now we are under love. Thank you, Father that we can put on new ears, living ears, to hear these things. To be free people. And to come to this table and experience you.